Hi, it's Mark Sisson. Welcome to the Primal Blueprint Podcast, where we deliver a variety of fresh content to help you live awesome. Enjoy the show. Engage with us online at marksdailyapple.com and on social media, and send your questions to info at primalblueprint.com. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Primal Blueprint Podcast. Today, if you are listening to this, this is also a video episode. You can get that in the main show notes or go to the Mark's Daily Apple YouTube channel. Uh, Today, we are talking with Terry Cole. I'm really excited about this conversation because her latest book, which is coming out this month, is amazing, called Boundary Boss. If this is not right up my alley, I don't know what is. It's the essential guide to talk true, be seen, and finally live three live free, sorry. Terry is a licensed psychotherapist and a global relationship and empowerment expert. For over two decades, she's worked with a diverse group of clients, including everyone from stay-at-home moms to celebrities to Fortune 500 CEOs. She really has a gift for making complex psychological concepts accessible and actionable so that people really can have sustainable change in their life. Welcome to the show. Well, thanks, Al. Thanks for having me. So this is not your first book. This is my first book. It, it is your first book. Yes. But I thought I saw, hold on, I thought I saw something. Maybe it was something else you wrote about, um, I thought I saw something else, or maybe it was a blog post that I well, saw. Well, I've contributed, though. I, title. I okay. have to say, I've contributed to a lot of books, though. So a lot of okay, Chris Carr's books, and so I've Gabby Bernstein's books. Yes. All my friends have books, and I've been contributing to that for like two decades, but I finally wrote my own. So what, when, you know, of all the things, you know, all the topics you've tackled in your career, this is such a good one, but why boundaries? Why was this one, the one that you were like, this is the one? Partly is because it's what I saw in my, you know, I've been a psychotherapist for about almost two and a half decades and over and over again, the pain points that my clients would come in talking about, whether it was conflict in relationships, whether it was not being paid what they were worth, whether it was not being able to take care of themselves, right? Overgiving, overfunctioning, overfeeling to a degree. I could literally connect the dots backwards. And the origin was this lack of knowing about healthy boundaries, how to establish them, what are they, how to communicate them, the language of boundaries, setting limits, prioritizing your own preferences. Like these are all things that as women, not only were we not taught, we were actually taught the opposite, right? We were raised in praise to be self-abandoning codependents. That's what got people to say, oh, she's so nice. She's such a good girl. So we really were conditioned out of our instincts to protect ourselves and to communicate effectively and all of that. So really it was from years and years of collecting data and being like, nobody is teaching this and you don't learn it in school and you don't learn it at home. And in fact, you learn the opposite at home. And of course I was a boundary disaster. So that's another reason why, you know, you teach what you most need to learn, right? It seems like a lot of people suffering of the clients and other people I speak to is always, again, related back to some boundary that they're not drawing or too afraid to speak up about something, which I guess in the reverse can be like a boundary of some, of some kind, right? Absolutely. It is because how, how do we establish boundaries? Well, some of them are physical. Really, it's through languaging. It's through speaking up. It's through having the words to set a limit in the moment, to not answer an intrusive question. These are all boundary issues, right? Not overgiving, not agreeing to crap you don't want to do. Stop saying yes when you want to say no. 
those are all boundary issues. So I think that what my goal was for the book is to demystify what are healthy boundaries. And the myths about boundaries are plentiful about if you are a boundary boss, in many people's minds, they think you're bitchy. They think you're rejecting people or confronting people or a drama queen. And those are all myths. But the truth is that you can always draw boundaries with ease, with kindness, with grace, and when appropriate, with love, because it's not always appropriate, but when it is. So I think that I wanted people to realize that it is an art form that you can learn and you can still be yourself and you can still be kind and giving and you can still be the lover that you are. And in fact, you'll be more authentic in all of that giving because now you're giving from choice, right? From equanimity, from actually from love as opposed to fear of rejection not setting a boundary simply to avoid a confrontation or a hard conversation or fear of being rejected. There's so many reasons why we don't do it. But I wanted people to see, because I've been teaching it for many years, like I've had you know courses started five years ago, to basically do the beta testing, to go, what actually works? What is most effective? What is the fastest way to gain this skill set? And that is what I base the book on. Yeah, you know, you mentioned earlier uh, that the people pleaser, the too nice, the too nice. Oh, she's too nice. Oh, the problem with Jenny, the reason she never gets her schedule she wants at work, even though she's been here twenty years, she's just too nice. Mm-hmm. No, she's a liar, right? I mean, it's so yeah. harsh, right? But that's really what people pleasing is, because you're talking about authenticity, and I love Robert Glover's work. You know, no more Mister Nice Guy on this topic, and I've I know so many people who are reformed people pleasers. Um, I am not, although I understand it. I've been on the opposite, which is people being like, she's harsh because I'm just telling the truth, even though there's no attitude behind it. So if you were a friend of mine, you're like, hey, you know, you want to go to this concert? I would just be like, no. <laughs> and people, people will be like, oh my God, <laughs> you know, because people are not used to that. However, I will say this. In my life, I have noticed that even though you get some kickback from people a little bit, or they think maybe you're mean or you're too harsh, even though then they learn you're not. I find that it's the quality they admire most about. Well, because they're like, she'll tell you how it is. She'll tell you the truth. People trust that because it's authentic. And so if I, and you know, in my book, Confident as Fuck, talk about that. If you, if you do, my gosh, you're going to get so much more in life. Not only going to get what you want if you speak up, right. But you're going to, you're going to get that admiration and people then who love you are loving you for who you are not for the fake little covert contract stuff you're doing with the people pleasing. I love you to expound more on this because I feel like it backfires. It seems like it's protecting you, but it's a backfire move, right? Well, the thing is, it's what you said is true. When we're saying yes, when we want to say no, we are not being nice. We're being dishonest. And so the real um, tragedy with women in particular, not knowing this skill set is that when you continually put everyone else's needs above your own. When we, when we claim and we insist that I'm easy breezy, no fuss, no muss, you know me, it's all good. What happens is that the people who love you don't know you. And how can anyone ultimately really love you if you never allow them, if you never take the risk to let them know you? And so the the biggest, the irony of this whole book and this whole movement, because really it is a boundary revolution that is happening with this book. I mean, I can, I'm seeing it, I'm experiencing it with people. It's that your life will change 
it will be you making the decisions, being self-determined in your life. And in the end, if we spend a lifetime prioritizing other people, codependency falls into this, disordered boundaries, of course, Mm. being overly invested in the feeling states, the outcomes, the decisions of others, we end up bitter. And what happens, I like to say, it's a one-way ticket to bitter land because that's the only stop on that train because you can only do it for so long. And because that kind of giving is from fear, not from love, what happens is even when people are appropriately grateful, they can never be grateful enough because we're expecting others to fill this space within us that only self-love, self-respect, self-knowledge can fill. So we can't look to our relationships, romantic or otherwise, to fill the spot that only you can fill for yourself. So we really have to think about why are we doing that? And let's talk about, you know, disordered boundaries. You know, they can be too porous, which is too malleable, where you're you're more like the Uh, you know, the chameleon, the peacekeeper, like I have different archetypes. I have a boundary quiz out that people can take to see like what what is their archetype basically. And it's their boundary style. But then there's also the ice queen that when you're out of balance, it's like my way or the highway. That's not someone with healthy boundaries. That's also someone with disordered boundaries. It's just expressing- in the other direction. I get you. Exactly. It's just expressing it in a different way. Then you have like the loner, someone who will withdraw themselves from situations that are like too dramatic for them or that they can't handle because they feel overwhelmed. They don't have the words to either get off the phone, get out of a relationship. So instead they withdraw. Again, a dysfunctional expression of boundaries. So all of us are a bit of a mix, but trust me, it's only 13 questions. If you go to boundaryquiz.com and you take the boundary quiz, you will see though, most of us have a primary style because we all have different personalities. You've got the leaders and the more quiet learners and the, the different ones. But what I give you in the quiz is what can you do to be more balanced? It helps you identify like, oh, this is where I'm out of balance. And that's really what we're doing, right? We're learning a new language for sure. Because I think you can think about boundaries as a language that no one ever taught you. So when my clients would get all down on themselves or women in my courses, like I'm just weak or I, what's wrong with me? How could I be in this situation again? I always say, listen, you wouldn't expect to, you know, cross your fingers and pray hard enough to be fluent in Mandarin and just yeah. hope you're going to wake up tomorrow. Like I'm, yeah. <laughs> right? like I'm going to know how to do this. This is the same thing. But the good news is that just because our, most of our families of origin or wherever, wherever we grew up, certainly I didn't learn it where I grew up, that doesn't mean that we can't learn it. And that's why I'm teaching it the same exact way you would learn a language, right? Think of it as Rosetta Stone for healthy boundaries, but it's really for being empowered. And I know that so much of your work as well as being self-determined and being confident and being, being sovereign, like making the decisions and having the courage to be honest about who we are. And to do that, you have to want to know who you are. You know, I'm curious to know what you think about this, but my my sort of theory on people talk about 
the authentic self as if like someday you're going to magically like turn the corner and be like, oh my God, I discovered my authentic self. And I feel like we have our nature of who we are and we develop our authentic self by making decisions in life. Who do I want to be? Do I want to be someone who keeps my word that I will work at being someone who keeps my word? And sometimes I'll fail, but if that's a value for me, if I see that as a virtue, if that matters to me, it doesn't mean you will just naturally be someone who keeps their word because it takes effort to keep your words. That makes sense. So what are your thoughts on people and their authentic selves? <laughs> um, I really resonated what you said earlier, like no one can know you. And then here's the thing, when you're not authentic, then they don't really know you. They like you for the person you're showing them. That's not really you. And then how can you trust people? I think this is where the trust breaks down because it's like, you don't really trust. Now there's resentment or covert contracts, passive aggressive behavior. I will say that my boundaries, so I never had issues with like speaking up and drawing a boundary. However, I probably had too many boundaries up. My lessons, and I'm sure you've experienced this, you know, this is a psychologist when you're when you are an alpha um, in a lot of ways uh, and you're uncoached at first through life, you do not want to be vulnerable. You do not want to express any vulnerability. And that's not my freaking true self either. So that hurt me on the other side. So while I was able to lead and be like, nope, not doing anything, like draw all the boundaries, be absolutely no shit in every way of my life. Somehow I got choked up there. And that was really tough for me. I had to learn to be more vulnerable again. Like sort of, I see that as sort of like a a crappy boundary of some kind, right? Because yeah. that's not the true me either because I'm a human right. being who does have emotions and I am vulnerable. Just didn't want to express it because there's no alpha out there that wants to appear as weak. This is the sort of like life cycle of alphas, right? And then on the overgiving is another thing, I think. And uh, perhaps this is, I could be displaying this wrong. Let me know. But my impression and through experience is, uh, if you had a core abandonment issue, some parent or something going on there, there could be some overgiving. And I believe it was sort of subconscious in terms of like, I'm going to help you and I'm going to rescue you. And then you won't leave me because I hoped, which that's a, just a disaster game to play. But I played mm -hmm. that for a while until I realized what am I doing and where is this coming from? And what is this? Um, and again, being inaccessible as a, as a, as a person. So we'd have a conversation. You could be vulnerable and open with me, but I'm really not going to kind of share that. And then how can we get close? How can I trust that you really like me if you don't know these parts of me? And again, it's not wearing your heart on your sleeve at the, at the bar next to the person you're talking to, but so that's kind of how I see it. Like on my side, I was overbound, <laughs> like maybe overboundary. Yes. It's called yeah. having rigid. It's called having rigid boundaries, meaning there, yeah. there, there's too much, but what you're really talking about also is codependency. And with my clients, because they're a lot of just like you, very like just women who are, I don't want to say ballers because that doesn't feel right, but who are who are masters of the universe, who are literally doing it, the CEOs, the CFOs, the owners, the founders, the people, the the, the pop stars, the whoever, like they're just killing it at what they're doing. And yet they I saw their overinvestment in the decisions of others, the feeling states of others, the outcomes of others, and them working overtime to be like, I'm going to help and I'm going to fix and the auto advice giving and all of those things. And so I actually coined a new phrase because if I ever said codependency, immediately my, my clients would be like, are you fucking crazy? A codependent? Hello, I, I'm not dependent on crap. 
Everyone is dependent on me. I do everything. I'm the one who has all the answers. People come to me. And when I started describing what it actually is, uh, so the the phrase is high-functioning codependency. Right. Because it's different. Because it's or the like, one that's almost creating and fostering it, the leader of perhaps that codependent relationship. If you're the one constantly, around, I mean, it's like it's like such an enabling move. Yes, but you're doing it in such a way though, because it's not the Melody Beatty, you know, codependent no more. Every person you're with is an addict, right? So right. Th- we had a lot of, I think that especially with my clients, there was a lot of negative connotation, mm-hmm. meaning weakness, and they're like, "I do everything." Like, what are you crazy? Like, no, that's not me. With high-functioning codependency, though, it's like, imagine it's like, you know, we used to hear Ginger Rogers described as she was doing everything Fred Astaire was doing, except she was doing it backwards and in heels. Mm -hmm. That's like a high-functioning codependent where you are so capable that you can almost do anything. You are doing anything and everything. But what ends up happening is that even at the end, because I've had so many women come to me in their 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, where they've done it all. They've got the nice life. They're financially secure. Kids are on track or are already going to the Ivy. They're, they, they don't have to worry about money. They're going to soul cycle. Like they're meeting their friends twice a week. Like they're doing, they like their husband, but they feel empty. Mm-hmm. They're like, what's wrong with me? Is this all there is? And part of it is that an entire life, even if it looks successful, from the outside, but that is built on what you were saying before, the false self, the the masks of how we should be, we should have kids who go to these schools, who are successful, who pick these professions, we should then be on all these boards and help and we're, you know, we're, we're um, doing all this philanthropic work if we have, if, you know, people who have means. It's like, what is your passion? Who are you? And so, with those people. And they also come in presenting. It's almost with, like an advanced, uh, different angle and tangent of people pleasing in a way. Oh, right. A little bit. It absolutely you know is. But yeah, I do. Because you have to figure out though, who are the people that you're pleasing? Right. And part of it is that so many of us became perfectionists in our young mm-hmm. lives to manage whatever chaotic system we might've been in, or we might've had a authoritarian system we were from where the the expectations were incredibly high, Mm -hmm. or we had one family member who was the designated patient, let's say, if you had an addict or um, a black sheep in the family who was acting everything out, then you felt like you had to be perfect to not add to the pain of your friend. Then there's a million reasons why we end up with perfectionism. Mm -hmm. And it's something that is so um, painful and just sucks the joy out of life because nothing is perfect, right? Life is messy. Growth is messy. Love is messy. Messy. Kids are messy. Like all of it is messy. So my feeling is that emptiness that people experience becomes their bottom. You know, and it's like now, who are you actually? And so in the book, you know, we, I walk through the five pillars of self-mastery that I've created over all these years of like, how does it actually work? Like, how do, what do we need to transform most effectively, most efficiently? And I wouldn't say like hacking, you know, people always like want to do everything short. I want to do everything efficiently. Mm-hmm. And I know that you are smart and that my crew is smart. People don't need to be, I'm not anti-therapy. I've been a therapist for 25 years, but 
you don't need to be in therapy for 20 years unless you love it. I do. I've been in for 30 years. It's my fave. But you don't need to because if you are given the right information and you have an ass-kicking coach, me, and I'm nobody's guru. My whole thing is I'm an amazing GPS to walk you into the basement of your mind, your unconscious mind, where there is information that is in a box that you haven't opened maybe ever, that information is driving dysfunctional boundaries, inability to communicate. Because what happens is you had your experiences, I had my experiences. Any traumatic, traumatic experience in childhood, you know, a lot of times we put them away, but then what happens is we get into an experience in adulthood that reminds us of that, that feels just like that. Mm -hmm. So we have what is, it's a transference. I mean, that's therapeutically what it is, right? And that gets in the way of what we're doing because now is actually not then, right? Now is now. And so we go back and we find these peak painful experiences so that you can unpack them, integrate them, honor them so that when you are, you know, with your authoritarian boss, let's say, instead of turning into your 10-year-old self, I had this experience in my life where I had a boss, I was working at a drug treatment clinic, and I just like hated this guy, you know, and I thought I had all these good reasons. I was going into my therapist, Ruth, and being like, he's just judgmental, and he's cold, and he's a jerk, and he's like, you know, I interacted with him literally barely at all, because anytime I saw that guy, I would literally jump into the bathroom to avoid him. Mm. I was visceral, visceral, rejected feeling about this guy, yeah. Absolutely, like I need to get away. And she was like, can you describe him one more time? And I was like, well, I mean, he's tall, he's handsome, he has dimples, he's, you know, Brooks Brothers suit wearing, Wall Street Journal reading, probably a martini drinker. And she's like, uh, who else could that describe? And I was like, <laughs> oh my God, that's my father. She's like, right. And what was happening, and she had, she, that was my first like profound experience with understanding the damage of having a transference that you're unaware of. Because she's like, Tara, if you never figure out this aversion to your boss, he will never know how smart you are. You will never show him how capable you are. Don't you want a job here after you're out of school? Don't you want to? And I was like, I do. And she's like, okay, so he's not your father. Let's talk about your father. And I was like, okay, I guess that's what we're doing. So that isn't just me. So the, I'm going to give you a quick something that you can do, anyone listening. That if you have an experience where you're like, wow, like I just did, like, why do I, I have this extreme response to someone where if you look at the facts, you're like, mm, have I even interacted with this guy? Why do I hate him? So it's almost like a, a bigger experience than what the situation is. Like lack is. of true reasons that would be a yeah. tip off. Mm -hmm. <laughs> exactly. You ask yourself, huh? So here are the three cues I call them. Who does this person remind me of? Mm. Where have I felt like this before? And why is this behavioral dynamic, the way we are interacting, this crazy dance that is playing out in this relationship, how is that familiar to me? Maybe you had that dance with one of your parents. Maybe you saw your parents do that dance and you weren't even in that dance at all. Right. And it could still be, a, a I call it, um, you know, this is a relationship repetition, right? Right. This it's is familiar, not necessarily healthy, but because it's familiar, we repeat it. And it could be witnessing parents do something, right? Yes. So when you ask those questions, if, if I had known, I, I came up with, I created this little you know, strategy so that my clients could quickly identify 
when they were having a transference. So we could handle the unresolved thing because you have something sticky in your unconscious mind. For me, I had something sticky that needed my attention about my father. When I gave it my attention, and really when I just had the realization from my therapist, I was like, oh my God, how embarrassing. Dr. Washington is absolutely not my father. (laughs) Like what is happening and how did I not see that? But immediately my fear was gone. The next team meeting, I was like, and I want to tell you about what's going on with my client. Like, I just suddenly was like, that is, wow, he's not my dad and I'm not 10. So the healing can happen almost instantaneously, or it's not even the healing, it's the realization that this is happening. So anyway, that is something that and we can put it in the show notes if you're if your folks want to use it because it's such a good thing to have sort of in your hip pocket when you are confused about why am I responding this way? What is going on? But it requires you to not look out at the other person and say, well, he's just this or she's just this. And we always have to look in and go, okay, let me get curious with compassion about why I'm reacting or responding this way, because trust me, you have good reasons to be responding that way, but it's dysfunctional, and this breeds dysfunctional boundaries. Yep. Such good stuff. All right, let's talk a little bit about, I mean, I guess I would say that in a lot of the coaching that I do, sometimes it comes with confidence, speaking up, things like that. It's like, depending on the person and how motivated they are, it's like, sometimes you got to start small. Sometimes it's just not accepting the phone call from the toxic person you're annoyed with. Right. And then you, so like little, you know, little, some steps, test it out. Cause some things are uncomfortable. Sometimes it to speak up is still uh, can be awkward for almost everybody, but it's extra fearful to the people pleaser. Um, but you know, I, I guess leading that and then into talking about like managing like boundary destroyers, as you call them, right? Mm. You got narcissists, you got toxic personalities, emotional manipulators. I think this is almost the easiest way to draw boundaries is to start to, and if it starts with a blow off, maybe you don't have to speak up and go, hey, you know what? You're toxic. I'm not going to be your friend. I mean, if you're ready for that level, you probably don't need her book. But, but <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So where do we, like when we're dealing with something like that, like where are we, how do we, how can we frame it in our head to get geared up and juiced up to actually do it? Because and this is what's crazy to me. So I don't want to speak up because I'm afraid, oh, I don't want to be mean or I don't want them to not like me, but then I'm going to suffer as a result. So I'm just going to go, oh, be okay with me hating all of this, hating these conversations with these toxic people mm-hmm. or whatever the scenario is all for, it's just, it seems like that's insanity. Can you unwrap that? Why we do that? What's in there? I know sure. it's a lot. I just throw it at you. Oh, I got it though. So let's start with the, how to say no, Right that there is the 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 technique that i give in the book is the first thing is to buy time so i have all of these scripts of what you say so that you stop the auto yes you stop the auto yes get it in your mind right now unless like a building is on fire and yes the fire department can come in there is no bud tea nobody needs an instant answer from you. And if they do, those folks who love to say, I need to know right now, of course, most people in my life do not do that, but let's say they did. I say, well, if you need to know right now, then the answer is no, because I don't make decisions on the spot. You know, like poor planning on your part does not constitute an emergency for me. I need an answer by three o'clock today. I don't give a shit. You know what? You don't. 
So if you need an answer, the answer is no, but you can build up to that and you don't have to be so Jersey. I'm a little Jersey, but you don't have to be. So (laughs) So you get it. So let's talk about ways that you can buy time. One is literally just, and I give you, I have a whole entire chapter in the book that is just scripts. The entire thing from top to bottom is scripts. Every scenario you could ever find yourself boundary in. Boundary scripts, right? Boundary scripts, yes. That you make your own, right? A lot of them are sentence starters. Then you make them your own. But when someone says, oh, hey, we're getting together on Sunday and you know, we want you to come. If you are a people pleaser, if you're someone who feels like they asked, I must answer, we're changing your mindset right now. And it might be too threatening to say no right away. So mm-hmm. you're actually going to say, you know what? I need to check with my roommate, my spouse, my person, my parent, my family. I don't know. I need to check with someone. I'll get back to you. If you know it's a Sunday and you don't want to do it and you spend time with your family, you can have also some canned answers that are like, thank you so much for thinking of me. I love that you think of me. It makes me so happy. And Sundays are reserved for my family. So there's so many ways. A lot of times we we bring a positive before we say no, especially with people we care about, because these people we're saying no to so much of the time, these are people we love. They're not our enemy. Right. And if they're people who you have led to believe that that they're very important to you because they happen to be, you are very important to them. This is where, when, when I'm done with the saying no thing, we'll get into the VIP section where we really got to get clear about who's in the VIP section of your life. Because the truth is that if you don't have a rope and you don't have a list and you don't realize you're the only bouncer, then just any mother effer who thinks they're entitled to your time, your sunshine, your consideration, you changing your life to suit them, will just come in and plop themselves down. This could be a third cousin, a cousin, a family member, a sister, a brother, anybody. And when I talk about your VIP section, I don't mean you should cut off contact with all those people. No, but you need to do it in the, in the book. I walk you through an inventory of who's in your life. When you know you're going to see cousin Betty, are you like, yay, cousin Betty, it's so awesome. Or you're like, oh crap, cousin Betty, I'm going to be exhausted. She's going to talk about the same bullshit boyfriend shit the whole time we're together. Like, am I going to leave there and be like, can I check Betty off the list for another six months, please? But you're choosing that. That's right. So when you do the relationship inventory, and we're really looking at, and in the book, I have a bunch of these things called back to you. So all the concepts that I teach, then back to the reader so that you can right now in this moment, be like, huh, let me think about it. Who exhausts me? Who leaves me wanting to jump out a window? And who leaves me feeling good? Who is in my front row because they want good for me. They are cheering me on. They remember what I talk about. They follow up on things. It's not just me doing that for them. Because I feel like this has been a major theme with my therapy clients where they would have all of these people in their life, people who, some rando from like your yoga class, who's like, I have no one and I'm having foot surgery. Can you walk my dog? This is a true story. Can you walk my dog? One of my clients, just for like, just for two weeks. And she was like, well, okay. And she barely knew this woman. Yeah. They talked a little before yoga and maybe a little after, but never had socialized. And like five weeks later, she's still walking this lady's dog twice a week. And her husband's like, why are you walking some rando's dog at six o'clock? And we're supposed to be eating dinner together. Like, I don't get it. You're literally prioritizing some lady you don't know. I'm like pissed. 
when yeah. she came in, I was like, what is the deal? Like, let's talk about who does this person represent? What is really happening? It's not about her. You don't even know her, right? So we know it's not about that. But through the process of understanding about how she was taught to be a pleaser, and this woman reminded her of her mother, who was very punitive and very bossy and very judgy, that we were able to go like, okay, this is what's happening. You are prioritizing low priority people out of fear. This is a dysfunctional boundary, basically. Mm -hmm. And she was able to then sort of get through that and tell the lady she's done walking her dog and continue to have dinner with her husband and things were fine. But that was a major breakthrough for that client because that wasn't the only scenario where because someone said, you're my best friend. Like she was like, oh my God, well, how can I tell them I'm not their best friend? Well, you don't have to tell them that, but your behavior should be aligned with how you feel. Right. Which is that it's not appropriate for someone you barely know to be like, can I put you down as the person that if me and my husband die, my kids will go to you? Right. Like you're my emergency I, contact and we've just met three times. Yeah. Yeah. So w- we start really um, discerning and making the distinction of who should be in our VIP section and why. And again, that doesn't mean that you then have to cut off contact with all those other people. It means that they go to an appropriate place in the club that is not the VIP section Mm -hmm. so that you have mutuality in your relationships so that you are with people who fill you up the way that you fill them up, you know? Yeah, and I think um, when I had to sort of get out of the overgiving, I had to stop myself when because if people would ask me of um, doing something I'm really capable and can do quickly, like, oh, hey, can you write this letter to the insurance company for me? Or, you know, like, can you, and a good friend. And I'm like, oh, I'll, you know, give me your resume, I'll do it or whatever. And then finally, I realized, too, that part of that overgiving was enabling. It was super enabling. So one time the friend called and was like, hey, I got no car accident. I have to write the insurance letter. And my normal self would be like, yep, I got it. Let me take time out of my day. And then I was like, no. <laughs> I said, why don't you do a first draft? Always. And you you take a draft and then I'll take a look at it. And the And the conclusion was she nailed it. By me not enabling her, gave her an opportunity to experience something she is now so proud of herself, so confident. I'm like, oh my God, I don't, I would just change that one word. This thing is perfect. She finally, she can write, she can write a letter. And so I helped her become, you know, and that was just sort of like, yes. oh, really? What a great thing. I let go of a stupid thing and she gained something else for it. Um, so, you know, sometimes again, that, that overgiving, I, I, yeah, totally enabling of, of someone else. And you can, you're, you're helping someone by also helping yourself at the same time there, if that. Right. right but no, but oh, that's such a great story because it's so true because let's break it down. Like, what are we doing when we're always in savior mode? Yes. We are centering the other person's problem around ourselves. Mm-hmm. That is what we're doing. I had a, I had a ver- very painful situation in my life where one of my family members, very dysfunctional, I have a lot of addiction in my family, lots of, most, most everyone is in recovery, myself included. Um, but this was before that person was in recovery. She was in a terrible relationship. She was living in, the, literally living in the woods without running water with a crack head who was physically abusive. Like that's the truth of the situation. Like the bottom of the bottom there. Yeah. Yeah. So I was talking to my therapist, Ruth, all the time about it, crying my face off all the time, trying to throw money at it, trying to hire, trying to do, trying to move, trying to do whatever I could do. So I said, so Ruth says to me, Terry, let me ask you something. What makes you think you know 
what Jenna needs to learn in this life. So, so good. And I was like, well, Ruth, I think we could both agree. She doesn't need to learn by living with a crack who That's beats right. her with no water. And she was like, um, you know what, Maybe though? she does. <laughs> yeah. She said, I can't agree with you because I'm not God mm. and neither are you. Yeah. And I don't know. And she's like, but Tara, I want to tell you, do you know what's really going on? And I was like, obviously not. <laughs> Please tell me. And she said, you've worked for 20 years to create internal peace, to create a functional life that is successful where you're happy. And the, her dumpster fire of a life is really fucking with your peace. And what you really want is for your pain right. about her pain to stop. So instead of draw a boundary, you decided to fix, which was not the move apparently that you would suggest now. Is that what you're? Well, I wouldn't. I thought I to be a good person who loved her, that that was what I, that was being loyal. I thought I was doing the good thing. So I was like, wait, so you're saying I don't need to do this and take this on? And she's like, here's the thing, Tara. Not only do you not need to, but it's impossible. And what you are doing is you are temporarily removing the pain that will be the driver for her to find her own solution. And yeah. I was like, oh my God. So I'm actually impeding like, like her growth process. Yes. Right. Yeah. Exactly it's what you said. So interesting. It's, it's like the back end of it. It's the other side of these things that are also, again, where right takes two to tangle on it. You know, uh, let's talk about no for a second, drawing boundaries. You know, one of the things I chatted, like confident people just don't justify and apologize. And this is a classic, this is a classic people pleaser thing. And um, <clears throat> I, I, it seems harsh to people, right? Um, to just be like, no, <laughs> because people are expecting it. But what's interesting is like, have you ever gotten that email from someone who has one question? It's like, sorry, but I've got the kids. And you're like, shut up, shut up. I don't fucking care. Just yes or no. Nobody right. gives a shit about all these justifying and apologies and all this kind of stuff. It's just like, I don't care. In fact, those people are going to respect you more for just saying, you know what? No. Or, hey, no, thanks. I appreciate you thinking of me or not this week or maybe another time or whatever it is. But it's so funny how much. And that's what I'd say, you know, watch yourselves, right? When you start to realize you are justifying and explaining and, you know, going back to one of my favorite books, The Nature of Personal, Personal Reality by Seth, um, nothing in this world needs to justify you you see a, a fucking beetle justifying itself you see but yet we feel and especially if you're in a creative profession or an entrepreneurship there's this sort of society hey okay, keep them busy keep them busy oh yeah i got this i got like this need to list everything mm -hmm. you know and one time finally it was like years ago uh someone said hey what are you doing this summer what do you have going on what are you doing and i just go i'm doing nothing i have no shame about it doing nothing i'm gonna sit by the beach i'm gonna go to the beach like three days a week and stand up paddle and it's all the fuck i'm doing and they were like <laughs> Okay. Because I was just like, I'm not, I'm just, that's my truth, man. I'm not going yep. to sit here to try to impress you or make it look like so that you, so that I feel okay about whatever your projection is on how I'm doing my life. Right. You know, can we get into this? Cause it's justification yep. stuff and no one wants to hear. Right. Cause when you're on the other end of it and everybody, even a people pleaser knows you're like, whatever, just yes or no. Right. And, and how about this? So yes, this is, this is a huge thing with boundaries and, Becoming self-determined mm -hmm. is understanding that how you feel, what you think, what you want, your preferences, your desires, your limits matter. And they only matter if you think they matter. Mm 
And they only matter if you're willing to share them. So I would say to my clients, like someone will ask me, like, hey, you want to go to Tanglewood and hear the outside music of whatever? And I'm like, no, I don't like outside music like that or bugs. So no, I'm good, but thanks. Like, but James Taylor, Mark, I love James Taylor. I'm going to stay in my house and I don't want to. Like, how about I just don't fucking want to? Why right. isn't that? Enough. And listen, if it's someone who you love and if it's important to them, we're not talking about that. We're not talking about the way we negotiate in relationships, right? Well, well I think that's the difference between, look, like, because that concert thing is perfect. I write about it in my book. My friend is a concert. She sees concerts like five days a week and she knows it's not my thing because after she kept asking me, I'd say, no, no. And so she got the hint. But then one day she called me up and said, you know, I know this isn't your thing, mm-hmm. but I got this concert I'm going to go to. So-and-so is going to be there and I kind of need a wing woman. I'm in. Same. That's different. That's different. That, that request, that's for another purpose now. That's not to, and that's not never doing stuff you don't want to do. I don't want to go no. help my friend get her car out of the toad from a thing, but you do because yes. the overwhelming friend move takes over the action of, of that sucks to drive to a car lot to get the car towed or yes. the, the concert. And in that case, like I'm in, that was so perfect that she asked me that way. I was like, I know this is your thing. I need you though for another reason. And that yes. reason resonated with me. So I think right. hopefully that kind of, yeah. Right, but let's make the distinction. Your friend gave you context. Yes. That context changed how you felt about it. You're motivated Absolutely. by wanting to help your friend. Mm-hmm. When someone is asking me for a favor, as long as they're not trying to make it look like they're doing me a favor when they're really asking me for a favor, like <laughs> yeah. just be truthful. If I say to someone, hey, I got a book coming out. I would really love it if you would promote my book. Like, it's not like, hey, let's get together and let's do this catch it. Let's just, and if you can't, your promo calendar doesn't allow it, that's okay too. But with clarity and and truth, it's funny in the book, I tell a story about one of my friends. I don't know if you know Elizabeth D'Alto. Do you know her? She's great. She's an embodiment teacher. She's so fucking funny. I love her. She's from Staten Island, but we're we're like very similar. I'm from Jersey. She's from Staten Island. She's incredibly funny. And I was like, hey, I'm going to this retreat in Guatemala. I want to come. She's like, nope, hate Guatemala, I hate Guatemala, hate hot weather. Um, hope you have fun. And I was like, wow, this is why I love this person so much. Because it's because so she's, damn authentic. And she's trustworthy. So when I know, when she's giving me an honest no, I trust her yes. I trust what yes. she's telling me because my people-pleasing friends Listen, I'm not second guessing. I can't. Like I'm too help. You know, you get past a point in your life when you can, when you can do it. Yeah. But back to the justification that you said, I want to talk a little bit more about that, about why it's so self-sabotaging and yeah. what your rights are. And before we're done, I want to be able to do the boundary bill of rights. There's only 10 of them, but they're really profound. And I feel like okay, they leave yeah. us with a, a good thing. We've got time. That with I had this experience years ago, and actually I didn't write about this in the book, but this is was pivotal for me in my relationship with my husband, where I would he was living in Elizabeth, New Jersey. That's where I moved to be with him and the boys. He was a widower, had three teenagers acting out like crazy people. It was awesome. Anyway, I would come home and I and it was like up top, like where the train was, and I could look down to see if he was in the parking lot. And for whatever reason, if he wasn't in the parking lot when I got out of the train, I was really sad. Like it made no sense to me. I don't know why. And then if I got down those friggin' steps and he wasn't there, now I'm mad. So, and I, and I do have a whole time thing. I'm better now, but like, I, I'm a bit of a time, 
I don't know. Like you got to be on time. If you hate lateness with like a passion, then you are me. Yeah. Yeah. So I am, I'm, I'm a real, and that's where I sometimes need to be looser, but yeah, I'm like you. I'm I'm rigid. rigid. (laughs) Yeah, me too. Oh my God. Very rigid in that way. So anyway, I would come down and if if it was, I mean, he'd be 12 seconds late by the time I walked down the steps. It's not like he would leave me standing there. Right. And I'd get in the car and then I'm like, he's like, how was your day? I was like, fine. Looking out the window, not talking. I'm mad. I'm withdrawing in anger. I'm not communicating, but I'm pissed. And he's like, oh, made dinner. You know, he's doing all the right things. And I'm still like hating his guts for like the next five hours. So then finally I was like, hey, babe, you know what? Um, I, I have this realization that when I get off the train, if you're not there where I can't see you from up top, for some reason, it super bums me out. Like, not Good just for you I, for saying it. Yeah. And the the thing he goes, oh, okay. I was like, so can I make a simple request that you really work to be there when the train pulls in? Because when I see that you're there, it makes me so friggin' happy. He's like, great. Yeah. What, and what a difference in your demeanor in the car at home. You're like, oh my God, somehow that is just like such a gift for you to see that and the other, but, but this is great too. And obviously, obviously as a therapist, you would do this, but the fact that you actually told him this is how this thing, and it wasn't much of a thing for him to adjust, such a simple thing. Why set him up for failure every time and keep right. doing this to him, right? You know or, what I mean? Or, At least yes, he, or yeah. also the, the whole thing about fighting, like part of it is that, not fighting because I'm not much of a fighter, but but being with passively, aggressively expressing my displeasure, right? That's what so, you were doing in the car, right? Yeah. That's what I was doing in the car. And what I realized is that I don't even need to know why something is my preference like that. I need to share with my person who I chose for like till the end of time. And even if he doesn't understand it, he doesn't have to, I don't understand it. He has to give a shit because he's my person and I know he doesn't want me to be in pain. So in sharing, it's like having Yes, of course, I was vulnerable because if he were someone else, he might have been like, I was only 12 seconds late. What's yeah, what are you talking you? about? <laughs> Why are you mad? You were psycho, right? Could have been. I mean, if he were someone else, he would never do that. But if he did. But my point is, it's really looking at relationships when you're talking about functional boundaries and, uh, and effective communication, where we're looking at it like, hey, babe, this is the problem. I'm going to say you didn't make the problem. This is the problem. And it's not you against me or me against you. It's you and me against this problem. And together, we can absolutely figure it out with less pain for everybody. So when we're back to your original point of not justifying and not over-explaining and feeling like you need a good enough reason to say no, or you need a good enough reason to get out of a relationship. I can't no. tell you how many women have gotten in touch with me and said, but they didn't do anything wrong. Doesn't matter. You know what, how you feel? That's enough. Like if you're not in love, you're done. You don't want to have sex with them anymore. And you've talked to them and you've tried. Listen, not all, we can't marry everyone. That's we a great distinction. It's like you, you can have a preference and just have a freaking preference. Yes. Just, just like anyone, like, um, I mean, literally like there's, there's men out there who, just want to date Asian women or tall women or short. Hey, nothing wrong. Like, I'm not offended by that. I'm five feet, two inches tall. If you like a woman with long legs and you're attracted to tall women, no offense to me. Like, that's your thing. I'm glad you know what you like. There's no talking that guy out of it, right? There's no right. amount of rationality. You could be like, you should really consider women shorter than five, eight, right? It's just, <laughs> I have a preference. Who the fuck cares? It is, it's here. I can't change it. And now I'm going to tell you how to like love me and work with me in it, you know? Um, 
And I, I've, I've had some, some family members express that to me. Like my mother, she doesn't want gifts. If you give her gifts, forget it. It's just not, but she wants a card. I just, and it's gotta be a nice one. Can't be a cheap card. This guy, yep. And like, I, it would upset her so much if you'd forget a card and you'd think yep. this is so dumb. It's a card. Well, I learned my lesson. <laughs> you know what it's I mean? It's her love language though. That's her she's love language. She's telling you. Damn card. And, and it's just, you. so I just, she told me and I listened and now it's like, I got them stacked, ready to go. <laughs> Stamps are ready. Yes. It's never You're forgotten. Right. It means it to her if I send card to other family. So I yeah. do that. And that's, and by the way, how low maintenance is that as a request from anybody? How low maintenance is, hey, if you can make there to be on time to stand on a thing. And I'm sure if he, if your husband wasn't one day, he'd be like, oh, I'm sorry, there was an accident. Absolutely. Right. But, but he's making Even it now. effort because something is just your preference. I, I love that. It's a good example. Yes. That was like 20 four years ago. And even now, if he's a second late, I'm always like, babe, <laughs> that it's is like it's okay. Every, everything is fine. Don't you worry. Um, all right. Let's, you want to talk? Yeah. Go into you tell your, me where you want to go. Well, go we have plenty of time, rights. but I know you wanted to go through the commandments, right? Yeah. The boundary bill of rights. This is something oh, that okay. I, it's so important to this process that it's literally the first thing in the book, because we have to all start with the understanding of what are our rights? Because I find that so many women come into my groups, my courses, anything, literally not knowing, like, am I asking for too much? Do I have the right to draw that boundary? And hey, if you're making your partner not wear those shoes because they're ugly, no, you don't. That's not a boundary. That's you just controlling him. And I think there's a lot of um, Great point. confusion about people trying to use boundaries as a mechanism of control, as mm. opposed to if it's your side of the street, then you have a right. If it's someone else's side of the street, they have a right. So anyway, uh, we'll start with this and then All you right. tell me which ones you want to unpack. The first one is you have the right to say no or yes to others without feeling guilty. So I think we covered that. Mm-hmm. You have the right to make mistakes, to course correct, or to change your mind. Mm-hmm. So many of us are so loyal we are so committed to our word. Yeah. What are you going to say? I was going to say, and, and loyal or attached to a trajectory in life, to attach just like you want to go do something else, but you've been doing this whole thing. And what will people think if you leave to become a jazz musician from a doctor, right? So there's a, like a lot yep. of that. I, that kind of resonated when you said that. Yes. And it's so liberating when you give yourself permission to change your mind. It's so beautiful right. what can happen. You have the right to negotiate for your preferences, your desires, and your needs. To negotiate, we expect people to read our minds. We're offended. We're like, they should just know. If they were raised right, they would know. They, they know. I let them know. I hinted. I, I was cool. Trust me, it got cool in there. They knew I was pissed. Why are you hinting? Please stop hinting. Please do. Okay, you have the right to express and honor all of your feelings if you so choose. So this is where being voluntarily vulnerable, which is what I call it, comes in because you also don't owe motherfuckers anything. You don't owe someone who wants to know, hey, why haven't you had a kid yet? Hi, none of your motherfucking business. Um, hi, where's that person you were at the party with last year? Hey, why why don't you eat wheat? Hey, hey. And so in the book, there's a million th- things of how do you come back? How, what do you say? And so much of it is don't answer the question. Yes, because that would be on the defense. That's defense not offense. And in that game, you're going to lose every time because now you're in a justifying wheel, 
right? That's correct. And you know whose work I love so much? I don't know if you know her, Kasha Urbaniak. She's Mm -hmm. a power dynamic expert. She Mm -hmm. was, um, what's it called? The people in the dungeon, you know, the women who are, she was the dominatrix for, Uh for years and years and studied all over the world with like female Chinese monks and all about power dynamics. And she's got this great way of getting off the spot when someone asks you something like terrible, and, and people, their morbid curiosity will drive them to ask you the most effed up shit. Like they will just ask you anything. So I had a very tragic death in my family four years ago. My 18-year-old niece was killed, just heart, all bad, just the worst. And pe- literally I had people being like, do you mind if I ask you how she died? So I'd already interviewed Kasha. I, already, I was already ready to get off the spot. And you can come back and say, why would you ask me that? I, 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 I'm going to say it. I love you. <laughs> no, really. You are so my kind of person because again, this reminds me of the time someone, a stranger said, <clears throat> what do you do? And I said, I'm a writer. And they said, are you like a real writer that makes money at it? Or do you like work at Starbucks, but like you have another job? Very patronizing said like that. Now, one friend was like, oh, you should have taken out your book and been like, I'm like, no, 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 that's, that's, Mm-mm fucking right into this guy's bullshit. This is what I thought that was rude. So I called him on. I go, you know, that's really rude. Uh, I said, that's rude as fuck. Why would you go up to a real estate agent and go, do you actually sell houses or do you just have your real estate agent license? But like you live at home. He goes, oh, well, well, that's different. I go, no, it isn't. It's just fucking rude. Um, now I don't always take every battle. That was one. It was just too patronizing bullying me where I had to go on offense. But again, it was like you're saying, it was like, why would you ask me that? I said it mm-hmm. in different ways, but it's the same thing. It's like, no, no, we're going to turn this around and, and you're going to need to look at what you just said to me. I'm not going to play into your shit that you just dealt me. And that's such a good move. That's such a confidence move. It doesn't necessarily mean you have to attack. I mean, I did a little bit there, but mm-hmm. God, I felt so much better that I didn't go, well, no, but I'm actually a bestselling yep. author. and I have to book, right? Oh, uh, 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 nope. I want to just, I feel gross just even, even yep. saying but but being able to speak up and and come back, I love that you um, or or you can say, why why would you want to know that, right? So why would you ask me that? That's if I'm really pissed because right. that is straight up. It's a little saying, bit. How dare you? <laughs> yes, it is. It is yeah. saying why would you want to know that? And it all is about your tone. Sure. As to, because sometimes someone had asked me once about, I, I had cancer a bunch of years ago and they asked me about the kind of cancer I had. And I, I really was asking, why would you want to know that? And she was like, because my mom just got diagnosed with thyroid cancer and I want, la, la, la. So that was also a real question. Not that I would mind telling her, but I want to know why you want to know. Like, I'm not for your entertainment. My health is not for your entertainment. My pain and suffering is not for your entertainment. And it makes the person also, it puts it back on them. You know, this. and this is Kasha's whole thing is you're flipping the spotlight, which means you you now are in the power position, right? Yes. They are in the 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 um, sub, right? The sub and the dom is the way that she talks about it mm-hmm. because of what yep. she had, you know, used to do. And now they are required to look at what they've said. And so and and I've I've very easy ways this. of doing it too, but this is this is something that the most important thing is that you don't answer questions that you don't want to. And understand that people aren't even listening half the time. It's like being in interviews, right? Sometimes, like if I if I have an agenda, if the person is you're a great conversationalist, but not all are, right? 
if, if someone's asking me something, I'm like, this is not what we're here to talk about. I just find my way back to whatever the hell it is I want to talk about. Right. Like, You're good now. You can just navigate right back. Right. And so this is the same thing when someone's like, so how much money do you make? Right. You can be like, trust me, Bob, not half of what I'm worth. <laughs> like we, we can do it light so yes. that we're not punching Aunt Betty in the face. Right. It's not necessary. Nope. But the key is if you walk away and you have not revealed something about yourself that you don't want to, you have drawn a boundary effectively. You are a boundary boss, right? And that feels good because feels we don't so always good. have, right? You don't have to punch someone in the face, but the not revealing is the key, you know? Okay. Moving down. Yeah. You have the right to voice your opinion. Even if others disagree, you have a right to be treated with respect, consideration, and care. You have a right to determine who has the privilege of being in your amazing life. I love that because that is saying, mm, it's very similar to, I've said this before, people are like, oh, I'm going on this date. I've talked to her a couple of times. She's really great. I hope she likes me. I'm like, nope, nope, no, no, no. You hope you like her enough yep. for her to be in your world, which is why I love what you just said. Cause that's all about, are you good enough for me? It's all exactly. about me and my desires, my life, my choices. I love that. Right. But okay. we fall, but you know, Elle, we fall into this thing. What if we're people pleasing or if we're super afraid of rejection, if we haven't figured out the crap in the basement, then it feels like a monumental rejection every time. And I would always say to my clients, hey, 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 before we're worrying about that, maybe he or she is distancing themselves from you and not texting as much. Have we even decided if we like this person? Yes. Like, are they valuable? Do you think it's true? I I find that people who are having issues with like a toxic person or whatever, and then you go, well, like, what do you like about this person? They don't even like and admire the freaking person. They're just too wrapped up in the, like, whatever they might say about them or if they will like them. And it's so funny. I'm like, what's so interesting that you would care with motherfucker. You don't even like this person. You don't respect them at all. You're talking all sorts of shit. Why do you care even what they think of you? I mean, if you really break it down, it's crazy. But it's the child within who is afraid of the paternal maternal rejection because then it's not like anyone's being like, I'm going to get a room share and I'm seven. Like we need our parents. (laughs) And so that, that fear. Like it can't be your job. Your whole life can't be just avoiding rejection and confrontation. And yet I find that for so many women, it is. And when we can stop and really believe, right, that you have, you get to determine who gets to be in the front row of your life, because it is an honor and a privilege for them. Yes. That is a, that is a flip, you know? Okay, you have the right to communicate your boundaries, your limits, and your deal breakers. You have a right to prioritize your self-care without feeling selfish. Mm-hmm. And then the last is you have the right to talk true, be seen, and live free. I love this. I am so glad you wrote this book. Thank you. So glad you wrote this book. This is because what I find is that most people that I talk to and why I'm in the game I'm in and probably you too is that this is the one thing people want more of. This is the one thing they want. They want to step up more, speak up more, be able to, or they'll say things like, man, I, I wish I could say it like, I wish I could say that, or, you know, and I get that. And it's just so available. It just takes a little bit of practice. And it takes, again, like breaking it down, how you do in your book to get to loving yourself, self-esteem and from, but I, I do, I want to say out of all those things, I really love the whole discussion about, um, 
you don't have to, I, I don't have to answer you. Again, it's so strange when someone comes at you with a question, again, it's this confronting thing. And if you can just take a minute and just to take a second, go, I, do I really, you know, and I, I love that. I think more people need to do that. Cause I, again, I think sometimes we end up in regret revealing something we wish we didn't, or we go into a whole thing. And then we're like, afterwards, you're like, Ew, that feels gross. Why? Oh, because I revealed something that like, I really didn't want to talk about. Yep. And actually I've created something for your listeners that is um, simpl- simplify and do less with boundaries. And it basically we're hitting the emotional labor because that's something that we have to be able to visibly see what we're doing in our relationships to be able to erect appropriate boundaries. There, We all have to be on the same page of like what work is actually getting done to keep this life going. So that's one thing. Um, stopping the auto. Yes. So I've given, I'm giving you guys the scripts that we talked about and those types of things. And then I give you something like a top of mind so that you can actually for 24 hours, be able to really see anything that you're doing on autopilot, because there's a whole thing about auto accommodating that women do as well. I mean, listen, I guess men can do it too. My audience is mostly women. That's where I've mostly seen it. And then you're going to do the emotional labor um, inventory, which will help you see like, where are you overworking, overgiving and doing shit that other people should be doing for themselves. So I think you're going to love it. It's a little video and it's these beautiful guides that I made for you. So they can find it at, hold on, let me tell you where, because I wanted, actually, I wanted to ask you, should it be uh, boundaryboss.me forward slash primal? Perfect. And we will, let me go ahead and just, can you just repeat that one more time? Sure. Boundaryboss.me forward slash primal. And then there'll be book information there as well. If people want to, you know, pre-order the book, that'd be great. There's a ton of bonuses that go with that. We're having a huge party. If you pre-order the book, that gets you into our fancy party with lots of fun people. That's awesome. And it comes out April 30th, but uh, sorry, April 20th, but available for pre-order. So get on it with all of these goodies and bonuses before the actual release date comes out. This is the best time to buy any book, really. Thank you. So I'm so glad to meet you. I I just, uh, it's like you're just preaching everything. I, I think it's just so wonderful. I love that you've broken down this topic in such a deep way, in a way that only someone who has your breadth of experience really can. So I so appreciate your time and coming on the show. What, anything you'd like to leave our audience with before we just check out here? Well, I want to say thank you to you because it was so fun and so easy. And yes, we're preaching to the same choir, but I, I appreciate the work that you're doing and what you're putting out in the world as well. So thank you. And what I want to say to your audience is you can do this. The changes you want to make, I promise you, they are act, they're doable. In this book, it is one baby step and then the next right action and then the next right action. Nothing massive has to happen. There's no bullhorn where you're like, everybody, we need to talk. We're not doing that. We're literally step by step. Yes. But it will really up-level the quality of your life and you deserve to be thrilled and fulfilled by your life, you know? I love it. Thank you so much for joining us. And for everyone else, we will see you all next week. Make sure every salad is dressed for success with Primal Kitchen dressings and marinades. Versatile, flavorful, and unique, use Primal Kitchen dressings to marinate meats, dunk veggies, and add complexity to your favorite salads. With keto certified, certified paleo, and Whole30 approved options, finding your salad soulmate is a snap. Choose from updated classics like Ranch, Caesar, 
Italian, balsamic, honey mustard, or Greek. Or get adventurous with aromatic sesame ginger, zesty cilantro lime, creamy vegan ranch, or tangy lemon turmeric. Avocado oil-based, these dressings, vinaigrettes, and marinades are an easy, primal-approved way to upgrade any dish. So use the code PRIMALBLUEPRINT to take 20% off your purchase at checkout.